It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We are coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network, and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kira Rundle, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Natalie Bucknell. Hello, Kira. Hello, listeners. And Michael Steindl. Hi, everyone. The Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or COP, is an annual meeting that unites countries around the globe in an effort to regularly review and implement action on climate change. Notable meetings include the 1997 meeting in Kyoto, Japan, where the Kyoto Protocol was first established, as well as COP21, held in Paris in 2015, where the infamous Paris Climate Agreement was developed and signed. COP24, held late last year in Katowice, Poland, is the most recent meeting. The objective was to ensure full implementation of the Paris Agreement by setting out a path for each country to intensify its climate protection efforts. Joining us today is Yasmina Trisi, the Strategy Manager for the Monash University Net Zero Initiative. She attended the conference last year following the award of the UN Momentum for Change Award for the Monash Net Zero Initiative to Monash University and Climate Works Australia. Yasmina is here to provide first-hand insights into the conference and what was accomplished. Hi, Yasmina. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Kira. Thanks for having me. So last year, we were delighted to have Timothy Hoban from the Monash University Net Zero Initiative on our program, and we replayed that interview last week. For people who haven't heard the interview, can you give us a quick overview of the Net Zero Initiative? Sure. At Monash University, we're committed to reaching net zero emissions by 2030, because change starts in your own backyard. And the journey originally started in 2005, when Monash was the first Australian university to commit to an emissions reduction target. Our Net Zero initiative is putting our Australian campuses to work to showcase how this can be done, and really having replicability at the core of our um, strategy and philosophy. And that strategy was developed in collaboration with ClimateWorks Australia and is based on the pathways to deep decarbonisation. So it starts with reducing our energy consumption, then to electrify our uh, campuses and really shifting away from from gas uh, because, of course, these produce carbon emissions, moving to 100% renewable power through generating on-site solar power, but also uh, buying Uh, offset renewable energy through a large uh, wind farm, but also around what we can do to innovate and how we store and use our energy. So that's through the microgrid project at the Clayton campus. And it's really important for us that we engage with with our communities to help create a cleaner future. And as a research and teaching uh, institute, we are in this unique position to work with others and and provide a model for organizations and communities to follow. There's a strong emphasis on transforming our Monash campuses into smart cities 
and creating those models um, that can be replicated well beyond the campus boundaries. And I suspect this approach is one of the elements that made Monash stand out from other projects and resulted in us winning the United Nations Award. That's a great update. Thank you. I do remember the if, – if, sorry, if I remember correctly um, – Tim said in his interview that there's quite a bit of competition between the universities and Monash was actually leading. Does them winning that award verify that they they are leading amongst the universities <laughs> in this? Well, thanks for saying that. I think there's a, indeed a bit of a healthy competition uh, between the universities. I think it's great because it essentially drives us all uh, forward. So whether Monash is the best university, I'll let other people judge. But we did win this uh, award. So I guess that's some kind of recognition Mm. on the global stage. Good on you. All right. So I gave a brief introduction um, and outlined COP in the intro. But would you be able to give our listeners a bit more information about the annual meeting? Yes, I just want to start by letting your listeners know that by all means, I am not an expert on international negotiations. So the feedback that you'll uh, hear from me today is based on my personal understanding and and experience at the COP last year. That being said, as you alluded to in the intro, the COPs or Conference of the Parties are the United Nations Climate Change Yearly Conferences. And they serve as a a formal meeting for the parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change to assess their progress in dealing with climate change. Every year, are they, Yasmin? Yes. Mm -hmm. And to uh, establish legally binding obligations for countries to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. And the first uh, UN Climate Change Conference was held in Berlin in 1995. For, so the first uh, COP meetings that were held in the 1990s le- led to the creation of the Kyoto Protocol in 1997, mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned in your intro, and uh, that set binding emissions targets for developed countries. Now, because the U.S. didn't, re- didn't ratify it, and due to the several inconclu- inconclusive conferences following the implementation, the Kyoto Agreement was considered a bit of a failure, Um, And this was followed by two decades of international climate negotiations, where finally in 2015, uh, COP21 in Paris appeared to generate the most uh, optimistic outcome. And in Paris, world leaders agreed on a general action plan that legally binds countries to have their progress tracked by technical experts. And uh, the the language, uh, the specific language of this infamous Paris Agreement, the the long term is to keep the increase in global average temperature to below, to well below two degrees above pre-industrial levels, and to limit the increase to one point five degrees. The countries who signed also agreed on a global stock take, which is essentially a process for reviewing collective (laughs) progress towards achieving the long term goals of the agreement. And I think that as of November 2018, 195 UNFCCC members had signed the agreement and 184 have ratified it. And last year, the conference was held in Katowice, Poland. So uh, it's quite a remarkable undertaking and a remarkable achievement to get to that point, isn't it, when you consider just the range of countries and interests, you know, to get everybody in the same place sitting down. Talking to the same agenda in Mm. itself is... 24,000, 23,000 people? At the conference last year, yeah, thereabouts. It's it's really uh, empowering to see all these these people uh, and to see the level of cooperation uh, needed uh, to 
yeah, any sort of outcome really is, is is quite impressive. So I know I always feel frustrated that things are not going quite fast enough, but I think the the efforts are, are definitely there. And the level of carbon credits you need for that many people flying in. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> good point. And how is the location determined? Is Oh, actually, actually, I'm not sure how it's determined. I, I know that Poland has had it uh, a few times uh, as to how they really determine it. I, I wouldn't know. Fair enough. So what was the theme of this year's conference? What was the overall? So last year in Katowice. Sorry, last uh, year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, we're it's, already it's 2019. Only, yeah. <laughs> it's only, what, um, four, six weeks ago, but uh, yeah, last <laughs> January. Yeah. Got so to change my frame of reference. <laughs> and Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, Nat. <laughs> So the major objective for uh, COP24 uh, was to agree on the so-called Paris rulebook. Uh, so the details of how nations should implement the Paris Agreement and report their, their progress. And so there were issues like uh, finance and uh, the mechanisms for emissions reduction and country contributions that were key elements of debate. So in terms of what was achieved, uh, I'm going to talk through a few points and I actually would like to thank my colleague uh, from Monash University, Dr. Rorina Kentley-Smith, because she was uh, uh, as part of the delegation last year really translating uh, for us all of the the, the legal jargon and and Mm. making it make sense for us. So if you're listening, Rorina, thanks. Mm. Uh, Yes, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Mm. when you talk about a rule book, this Mm. is where in the 2015 conference they said at this conference they had to come out with formal rules of how these uh, reductions would be applied and measured and so on, isn't it? Yeah, so essentially you set a target, but then you've got to work out the mechanism of how that's actually going to... Uh, because how it's 2015 operate. wasn't at all enforceable. It was just a, a, a nice nice statement. It's, it's, a, it's a great start, but then it's the, it's the details. The devil is in the details, right? <laughs> um, and so that Katowice climate package uh, did provide some guidelines uh, concerning the transparency transparency framework uh, that around um, uh, including directions on how states will report on their nationally determined contributions and associated uh, national mitigation and adaptation actions. I also provided some guidelines as to the establishment of new targets on finance, guidelines on the global stock take, so that's that review process that we mentioned before, and finally, guidelines on assessing uh, the, the assessment process for technology development and transfer. So, sadly, uh, uh, the Article Six that, w- that was very core to the debate um, during the conference, uh, which relates to the the cooperative and sustainable development mechanisms and the rules required to ensure the integrity of uh, the emission mitigation activities, wasn't quite finalized as hoped. Um, but certainly uh, there's hope that this will be done in, in so at this year's conference in, in Chile. And that was one of the key initiatives or one of the key goals for this past year's conference was developing a strategy for that particular article. So that, that was definitely something that the, the, the community hoped would be achieved to mm-hmm. make sure that uh, yeah, there's transparency and integrity in the way that, that those uh, activities are, are being conducted. Yeah. So, but, Yasmina, was was there a sense of, you know, listening as an outsider to this process, it feels like we don't have time to wait for next year to get these things settled. Was there that sense of urgency ar- around COP? 
Yeah, so it was very interesting uh, to, to to see how there's obviously a lot of uh, people there and, and negotiators are, are working day and night to make it happen. And even if we feel that things are not going fast enough, you, you can you can see that you know it it is happening in the background. Uh, and so there's really uh, different contributions that that uh, people were making there. Uh, I'll, I can mention uh, later a bit about the, the structure of how the the conference worked, but essentially you had the, the you have the negotiators, you have some side events, and and the activists who and us. I mean, I think we're all uh, in a way working towards uh, climate action, and we want to make this. We want to see that this happens, and we want to see that the ambition is is ramped up. So there was this sensation of uh, the need for protest, and there were protests. Um, at the conference and, and, and around different c- countries f- to, to accelerate uh, the process. Certainly, there was a, uh, this sensation that the urgency was, was felt, although it wasn't necessarily reflected in the text. So that was the frustration that mm-hmm. the countries were talking about. Uh, that, you know, there was also the, something to note, the Talanoa call to action by the COP president, um, which urge everyone to take forward and to take a, f- uh, a clear signal from the dialogue to act with urgency. Uh, but unfortunately, that wasn't uh, included in the final text. So that was the frustration, the n- knowing it's urgent, but then the text itself doesn't reflect that. Just back to that Article 6 you mentioned, that's about uh, how you measure the country's actual uh, reductions and, and whether they meet their commitments. My understanding, and is this correct, is that Brazil was the single holdout on that and that they basically wanted to have their cake and eat it too? Yeah, that's what, that was a phrase that was mentioned. Actually, there's there's some good information on the, on the Carbon Brief uh, website mm-hmm. for your listeners if you want to learn more about uh, the, the specifics. Yeah, so certainly there was a frustration that Brazil wasn't playing fair. And rather than agree with a inadequate solution as proposed by Brazil, they've actually deferred consideration of this article to the next year, you're yeah, saying, to Chile. Yeah, precisely, yeah. Mm. yeah. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Yasmina Trisi from the Monash Net Zero Initiative about COP24. Um, Yasmina, let's go back to um, Monash's initiative for a moment. They received the Momentum for Change Award. Can you tell us what that award is about and, and how does it fit with what COP is trying to achieve? Sure. The Momentum for Change Award is uh, an initiative spearheaded by the United Nations Climate Change Secretariat. And through this award, the idea for the Secretariat is to recognize the most innovative, transformative uh, solutions that address climate change, looking at the wider economic, social and environmental challenges and highlighting activities that are moving the world towards a highly resilient, low-carbon future. And these solutions called lighthouse activities represent the world's most practical, scalable and replicable examples of what people, businesses, governments and industries are doing to tackle climate change. And this year there was uh, over uh, there were over 560 appli- applications and 15 projects received the award uh, spanning across four focus areas. Wow, that that's a really great achievement yeah, then, awesome. just numerically. <laughs> that's really Thanks. impressive. Um, who nominated the Net Zero Initiative for the award? I nominated it. <laughs> well, congratulations. 
<laughs> Great work. And and what's the the practical outcome of receiving the award for Monash University? Uh, look, I think. Uh, Especially when you look at the, the quality, the caliber of, of the projects that were uh, showcased at the, at the conference, um, I think we can be very feel very honored to be part of the, the award winners. Uh, sustainability is, is a strategic priority for Monash University and being recognized as a leader in sustainability and, and climate action on a global stage is, is really a great way to, to recognize our, our efforts and commitment. Um, receiving the award meant that uh, we also had a large delegation with Monash representatives across faculties and institutes. And uh, it's pretty amazing when you, you know that there are only handfuls of universities being represented. And we're not only able to showcase the university's commitment um, to climate change, but also its world-leading research and teaching and as a part of the delegation, there were some really brilliant people, uh, educators, researchers, students, all in their various fields of climate expertise, spanning across engineering, science, law, communication, uh, to only uh, quote a few. So uh, because, of course, there are so many facets to the climate um, challenge and getting this recognition uh, means that you can raise awareness and about the the solutions that you're contributing to, and it means that you can strengthen existing, but also create new partnerships, and that you're really at a forum that enables you to share that knowledge and to learn from others. So overall, an outstanding opportunity for for Monash as a whole. Great. So time is really marching on quickly, and, and we want to hear a bit <laughs> yeah. more about you know the the actual mechanics of the meeting and get that first-person experience of it. Mm. So can you give us... Yeah, yeah, sorry, I, I, and just perhaps to give a context to that, stepping back a bit, you've previously been on our show talking about your research um, with Perhaps organic... Skates. Yeah. <laughs> 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 sorry, so, big, um, so organic solar cells, and it was really exciting stuff and it was moving very quickly. But before the show, you said you moved out of that because it, it just was... Too far, uh, too far down the line to actually achieve the change that's needed and, and hence your role with the Monash Net Zero project. Um, at the conference, uh, we had people like David Attenborough giving world headlines for his, um, his speech and the young student that, that started the, the student strike movement, Greta Thunberg, who said, you're not mature enough to tell it like it is. Even that burden you leave to your children. What... What was your feeling about the sense of urgency at the conference and, and whether there is enough urgency there? Uh, I think there is certainly, uh, because of the people there, obviously there's this, there's over 20,000 people um, working towards a, a common goal. So that, that's something that, that's pretty inspiring. Um, I think the role of uh, civil society is really key. And you, you mentioned Greta I encourage you, if you haven't heard her speech, to check it out. She gave an, an oh, absolute, a fantastic yes. address um, at the conference. Also, the the role of uh, public, uh, the the role of the public to be involved. So, the, uh, Sarah David Adambro, uh launched this the United Nations um, People Seat uh, Initiative, mm-hmm. which is really around having people around the world, individuals around the world have a voice uh, and, and unite mm. at the, at the, and speak directly with the, the decision makers. 
to convey that sense of, sense of urgency. That at the conference, there's so much uh, happening. To be honest, it's quite overwhelming. There's the negotiations on, on one side. There's all the side events on the other side. And um, certainly a lot, a, a lot is going on. A lot of frustration. I think a lot of a lot of us felt a bit d- depressed about how how slowly things are going, but also understanding that cooperation just just takes takes a while. It takes a lot of effort, but also a lot of inspiration coming from uh, listening to all of you know the, the Momentum for Change award winners, those projects, those organizations uh, that look at uh, really bringing the different people together to to be working on on the different facets of of, of the issue. The role of education, uh, the role of uh, building the, the capacity, the role of women in the transition, the mm. role of indigenous communities, um, all of these elements are are really inspiring. So although there is this, there is certainly a sense of uh, of urgency. There's a sense that the, the the people there are driving the the change, and the organizations are committed to making it happen. And so there's different, you know, there's those different uh, battles happening in parallel. So the the negotiations, with, which which are a, a slow and frustrating process, but that need to, to happen. And then the the civil society, the organization that mm. are really leading the the way and and acting on on climate. I think that was something quite powerful to witness. So you've mentioned about these two different types of attendees, the negotiators and the non-party organisations. What are the relative proportions of those? Um, I think they're probably around 15,000 party stakeholders and then uh, 7,000 thereabouts non-party stakeholders and uh, observers. Uh, And and to be honest, there's... uh, it's like two conferences are, are happening in parallel. Um, you can perfectly go to the com- to, to the mm-hmm. side events without ever really interacting with the with the formal uh, technical negotiations. And because there there is so there is so much uh, going on at the different side events. There's country pavilions uh, with events happening throughout the day. There's uh, uh, many many rooms with seminars and presentations and, and workshops. Uh, there's uh, a central area. So there was this uh, climate action hub where most of the momentum for change activities uh, were happening. There's another area with um, booth where non-party stakeholders can can showcase their work. And so Monash also has had a booth there. So yeah, there's quite a lot going on already. Just if you look at the the side events, and uh, that's you don't necessarily need to to be. Uh, interacting that much with with the negotiations, of course, that's completely biased because I was more interested in in the climate action side of things. So mm-hmm. that's that's why that's the way I I perceived it. And a lot of the discussions are, are often happen in behind closed doors. So yeah, it's much more I think uh, empowering to go to all those uh, side events where you can learn a lot and meet a lot of great people. The networking opportunities there are fantastic to to meet all those people working. Uh, together towards that goal. Uh, of course, the COP 1.5 report came out just before this conference, a couple of months before. Did they give it serious consideration? Uh, yeah, so that was that was a complicated one. So there was a, a bit of a, a challenge as to how the, the 
the countries would either welcome or note uh, the report. And so, okay. Note means ignore, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so in the end, I think the language was just different. I think they were welcoming the high ambition or something along those lines. So dodging the bullet a little, um, yeah. And all that, that degree of technicality or spe- specificity around language um, sort of ties in with a comment you made um, before the show about that the formal part of it was actually quite inaccessible for for people who are not in that area because of the jargon and how technical it is. So. Yeah, and and I think it's also just a question of uh, of your own interest. Of course, if you're if if you're interested in in the legal side of things, then you can follow it, and and if you really understand it, I'm sure it's uh, it's thrilling. Uh, but as someone more interested in in this in the solutions, uh, I think there was much more to learn from going to the to the side events, and there are so many already. It was hard to choose from. Uh, so. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I think I mentioned to you before the the, the show that the the program is only uh, released the night before, mm-hmm. uh, so you've got to be a bit flexible as to how you do your your planning for the day. And you obviously meet great people, so you've got great opportunities to then uh, have more meetings and create those collaborations and partnerships with the different organizations, and you know provide that feedback. And it was really great to see that some organizations were asking us, okay, oh, you're doing this, you know, how did you go about it? What were the challenges? challenges and we'd be able to share that knowledge. In our last 30 seconds, you've used the term relentless optimism. What did you mean by that? Uh, yeah, we were talking about the the frustration of being at, at COP and, and, and perhaps uh, the need to focus on the inspiration side of things and on the optimism. And, and so that relentless optimism is, um, I think I read it from an article from uh, Patricia Espinosa talking about the opportunity that uh, climate change can bring to uh, have a, a, a more a healthier planet, a healthier mm. community, um, do things better in, in a sense. And so it's not being naive about mm. the fact that uh, we can do this. It's just being... Uh, realistic about the fact that we must do something. Mm. So we have to be relentlessly optimistic because there's just no other way. So we have to look forward and look at the opportunities that this uh, challenge brings us. So what we need now is not hope, it's courage. (laughs) People, I think we just need the people. Mm. All right, so it looks like a half hour has quickly come to an end. Um, Could you tell our listeners where they could find out more? Uh, so if you want to know more about the Net Zero initiative, you can visit our um, uh, website, so monash-netzero.com.au. Um, the U- on the UNF C website, you get a lot of info. Uh, the Carbon on the Momentum for Change Awards, the Carbon Brief uh, has some good uh, links, uh, information, and uh, if we could maybe add some of those links on, on we'll the BZD that. website, yep. that will be good for yep. the listeners. Thanks so much for your time today, Yasmina. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking to Yasmina Trisi from the Monash Net Zero Initiative about COP24. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, then you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. 
Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.